0: All right, it looks like we are live, uh, streaming on Facebook now. Um, so, Salam like him, everyone, peace be upon you all. Um, we're welcoming you to a conversation on Hudge women and race. Um, My name is Hasna Maznavi and I'm the founder and president of the Women's Mosque of America. Um, In case you haven't heard of us, um, we are the first uh, women-led Muslim house of worship in the U.S. Um, And we currently, uh, because of quarantine, we're currently doing um, uh, online events, but we usually have uh, women-led um, Jummas uh, for Women and Children in LA uh, once a month. Um, and today we have um, a few uh, ac- special guests with us. So um, the first one is uh, Haja Krishna Nanuli Najib. Um, and she is the one who, uh, we just released her khutbah video on the transformative power of Hajj. Um, and uh, usually during our, uh, our, Um, in-person events um, and jummas, we will have a Q&A discussion uh, with the imam after each um, uh, jumma is over. Um, So what we're doing today is we release the video, which you can watch on YouTube or on our Facebook page, um, and we're doing a live discussion with her. Um, So please, if you have any questions um, or reflections you want to share, please type them in uh, in the comments section below on Facebook. Um, and then we'll, inshallah, uh, answer them. And then we have uh, Zaria Horton, um, who is on the board of the Hajjah Project. And she also has given a, a khutbah um, at the Women's Mosque of America. Um, and we encourage you to check that out. It was on being single, a single Muslimah. And I, I have to say, congratulations, because she just got married, mashallah. Um, and uh, so we're stealing her away on her honeymoon time to come in. Uh, and, um, um, and do a Q&A with us. Um, so we're very grateful for that. Um, then we have Sister Shahida Sharif, uh, of Hajj Pros. Um, she and her husband um, lead uh, Hajj tours and Umar tours, um, and actually that is who um, Sister Krishna traveled with. So she's going to be giving us the lowdown uh, today on Hajj 2020, what's going on, um, what to expect, and also um, what it's like to uh, travel as a single Muslim woman on Hajj, and yes, it's possible. Um, and then we have uh, Sister Noor Abbas, um, who was the winner of the first uh, backpack that the haja project awarded. And so she's going to talk to us about how that experience impacted her um, and uh, how it went uh, on her hajj, which she also already performed. Um, and then finally, we have Samia Bano, who's our director of operations at the Women's Mosque of America. Um, and she's going to be taking the questions from you guys on Facebook Live, if you have any. Um, and she also is going to be sharing her experience um, in attending all eight days of the Muslimah prayer and action, uh, which the Haja Project um, recently did um, in response to um, the Black Lives Matter movement and the recent tragedies um, surrounding George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and and many others. Um, So thank you everyone um, for joining. We're really happy to have you today. Um, And Sister Krishna, if you could start us off um, and just tell us um, you know, your experience, uh, you you gave an amazing, incredible chukba, uh on Hajj, the transformative power of Hajj. Um, and I remember that day, um, the thing that really struck us all was um, your fresh take on Hajj. Um, usually when Muslims talk about Hajj, they talk about it as this thing that you do only at the end of your life um, and you were presenting it as this dynamic uh, tool of transformation to transform your life, um, you know, even if you're a young person. So um, could you tell us a little bit about um, your, uh, what led you to create the Haja Project um, and also um, what are your goals and objectives uh, for it? Thanks for having us
1: today. assalamu alaikum, everyone. So the Haja Project was created Um, I started creating it and finding people to help me with it about two years after I completed my Hajj in 2015. My husband, Jamal, and I um, were blessed to be invited by Allah to make the Hajj. I think of myself as probably the most unlikely Hajj because I was a new um, convert, revert person um, in the Dean I converted to Islam after many years being a seeker, being United Methodist, being um, with the uh, uh, Church of Religious Science and trying various metaphysical things. I was truly a seeker and going back to the Methodist Church, but I was looking for something for most of my adult life. Um, Little did I know that I had been bumping into it, you know, off and on. So um, when I married my husband, In 2009, about a week later, I actually made my Shahada um, to commit to Islam because I was curious. And I have a close cousin who's a pastor, and she said, well, what if you don't like it? And I was like, well, I'll just unconvert. You know, if unconvert before, (laughs) I'll unconvert. But anyway, just to give you a little bit of that background, so six years later, I find myself getting ready to make this Hajj journey. I am not an Islamic scholar. You know I was still very much a fumbling Muslima to myself. I felt very unsure in my deen. But you know, alhamdulillah, the experience was so transformative and so solidified what I had been seeking. And I found that moment where I had my true one-on-one experience with Allah. And I felt in that moment that I had been given a great gift and that I wanted to give back as the recipient of that gift. So you know coming back to the states and you know, going through your normal practices and your routine and everything. You know, I kept contemplating and asking Allah. You know, what could I do? You know, how could I, um, you know, give back or what should I do with this? So you know, they say when you come back from Hajj, you have the Hajj glow because you do truly feel uplifted, um, positive. And so, kind of one day after making um, du'a prayer, it came to me this idea. And I actually literally was going around, you know, I went to a couple of events and I'm, you know, asking emails, what do you think about this? And asking sisters, what do you think about this? So fast forward, um, we convened the Hajj Project. It's a collaborative woman-run organization. We're a nonprofit. And in 2018, we were able to give our first sort of Hajj gift to a Muslima who's making intention to go to Hajj for the very first time. So we actually gave a cash gift and a backpack to another Muslima that we hope that you all will meet with us on another occasion. But the very first backpack went to Sister Nur Abbas. And truly it was um, quite a blessing for us because we were running around trying to find someone in LA, trying to get the word out through the grapevine and the internet and emails, looking for sisters who were making hajj for the first time. And um, one of our board members, Sharon Mohammed and another sister, Munira, were having lunch. And I think Munira said to Sharon, oh, that sister over there, Noor, we know her. She's going to Hajj, you know, maybe she should have a gift. And so, you know, I think Noor and I exchanged emails and we had a phone call the day before we were having an event to give the gift. And, you know, mashallah, it was a great thing. And we were so blessed to be able to give Noor the backpack. So um, I'd like to introduce Noor Abbas who kind of exemplifies um, one type of Hajj experience, someone who intentionally decides to make Hajj younger in their life with her husband before they make babies um, as a way to kind of just get that in there as opposed to you know, waiting till later in life. So, Noor, please speak to us. That's
2: not like him. Thank you so much. That was such a nice introduction. Um, yeah, that's, that's literally exactly how it happened. I was um, at the masjid. that was at Isla, LA in Los Angeles. And I had mentioned that I was going to attend the Hajj this year, inshallah, to Sister Manira. Sister Munira was like, oh, do you know Krishna? There's the Hajj project. i have never heard of it. Um, and then I got in contact with Krishna. And literally, I think it was the day before, or the night before, she was like, oh, just fill out this application. And inshallah, come tomorrow to this, the presentation. And that's how it went. And it was it was honestly the biggest blessing ever. Hajj, like I had done a lot to prepare for Hajj. I'd read books. I'd attended um, some seminars and other presentations. And they all were um, like men-led. And men were the ones teaching me about Hajj. Men were the ones like telling me about their experiences, which is obviously very helpful. They're very knowledgeable. But yeah. So I think that that then seeing this women-led organization, the Hajj Project, and hearing from other women about their experiences was honestly the biggest gift that I could have asked for. And um, at the presentation, I remember being so grateful about this backpack that had I had a bunch of supplies in it, and I used them all, I used them all at Hajj. But I think the, the biggest thing that I benefited from and that I appreciated was after the presentation, just being around all of the women, um, some of who had attended Hajj and others who just like had heard other experiences and hearing from them and getting their advice was so important to me. And I, I felt that now I now I truly can understand and um, felt more prepared for Hudge because I'd heard it from a woman's perspective and I'd heard things about being patient and about how like, how you feel loved at Hudge and just about how to stay clean at Hudge and all these things are really important but you don't necessarily hear when you go to a talk led by a man and so um, the backpack and the the backpack I used um, every single day and it came with this hydration pack in it. Which I think was the most useful part about the backpack is I would just, every morning I would go and fill that with Zum and then that would last me for the next few hours. And I would just go and refill it. And it was so convenient because I'd be doing the WAP, I'd be walking around doing whatever, and I could just take out the little straw. It's one of those camelback backpacks. And so I could just take out the straw and like drink Zum Zum. It was so nice. Um, and every time I would drink the water, I would also think that, wow, they're like, this came from the Hotch Park from these women that now, it, it actually was a really nice comfort that I was here at Hajj making du'a for them and I knew that they were there in back in LA or wherever making du'a for me and so it was just I think that that bond of sisterhood was what really made me appreciate the Hajj project
0: that's so beautiful um and um I I know that the Hajj project is not just limited to um, uh, supporting women going to Hajj only. It is uh, a greater community, um, especially online these days, um, and there are a lot of projects that you guys have been doing, so um, Zaria, if you could talk to us about um, the eight days of Muslimah prayer in action um, and what that was, how it came about, um, and what your uh, plans for it were um, or objectives, and, um, and then afterwards we'll hear from Samia, um, who actually attended all eight days, and we'll, we'll hear a little bit um from the viewer's perspective of of how it was.
3: Thank you again for the invite here today and um wow just listening to Noor's story just kind of made me I mean feel like the Noor basically like her name the light inside me I mean it's it's wonderful um to be kind of full circle and see that process sitting on the board um I, I also wanted to add that The Hajjah Project is a mix of women who have been on Hajj as well as women who are inshallah planning on going on Hajj Um, and this is kind of part of the importance of the Hajjah Project in the sense of we're an organization that strives to help women um, fulfill the fifth pillar but also assist them in women projects um, things that support women that support muslimas Um, And out of this, um, I should also backtrack and say, the eight days of prayer and action, Muslima prayer and action came out of the fact of basically striving to find, um, you know, continuing kind of with our, we had just completed Ramadan at home, safe at home. And I think that was a new experience for all of us, um, obviously, Um, and on top of that, Um, Eid, which was uh, May uh, 24th, George Floyd was killed on, murdered on May 25th. So basically you go through this elation, this, um, you know, moment of we've experienced something very unique, um, very powerful Ramadan at home. And then literally after having celebration regarding that, a man is murdered um, and then literally, so basically George Floyd dies in eight minutes and 46 seconds. Uh, Brianna Taylor uh, is murdered by eight bullets. So basically just countless lives and, and the powerful number eight and what does that symbolize? Uh, and so then we came together and saying, how do we kind of, how do we express ourselves? How do we share besides you know, prayer, how do we interact? Because one of the things we found about participating um, at Safe at Home as the Haja Project. uh, And we did have a weekly Holocaust um, to kind of just touch base. Um, And one of the things is connection and connecting. And because we all are safe at home, how do we connect? Um, we know that there are people possibly outside protesting. We know that there are people writing petitions. They're doing Instagram. But also, how do we express ourselves and possibly connect with other people? And so, you know, coming off the Ramadan, uh, coming off of Ramadan, safe at home, we created these eight days of Muslim uh, prayer and act, Muslim prayer and action, where we could support each other, but also feel like we are consciously doing something in action, um, praying as muslimas we know how important that is but also providing information resources and solution because that's also important you don't want to feel stuck like you're you can't do anything you're safe at home what can you do well there's a lot you can do and so in that time let me just share with you so our first day and these eight each day had a theme um, and I'll just kind of read Quickly, just the titles of these names so you all can get an understanding of where that that came from.
0: Um, and uh, sorry, let me let me interrupt you really quick just for the viewers. Yes. You're also a licensed therapist as well. So I think um, that that is significant because you're also tending to the psychological, uh, reality that people are going through. <clears throat> and so it, I think it's important to also talk about, um, your perspective as a therapist and, um, how that, um, you know, that perspective has gone into planning these, uh, steps as well.
3: Okay. So, uh, so in one of the days I actually did, uh, co-facilitate, um, uh, with one of my, um, co-trainers who I train with on a regular basis Um, so the first day was actually purpose and kind of just where do we come you know talking about pilgrimage but also reflecting on pilgrimage in an alternative way a spiritual journey because honestly we are all going through a spiritual journey because we are in the spiritual journey of unknown Um, we do not know what the future holds we never do only God knows that but on top of that, just dealing it safe at home, we don't know how long we will be safe at home. So the first day was kind of a discussion regarding the purpose and setting the agenda of safe at home uh, and how we can find purpose in doing in being safe at home, what action we can take. Um, the next was looking at Muslimas in history and looking at role models of Muslimas to provide strength, particular focus on the, uh, the wives of the prophet, peace be upon him. Um, next was envir- the environment and the importance of the environment and social justice. Um, you know, how we, there's something called Green Dean. I, there's a book out there called Green Dean, and just our connection as human beings, um, you know, Muslim or not Muslim, but just our connection to our to our earth and to our world and how we each impact each other. So we had a conversation on that on the third day. Um, The fourth day was emotional wellness uh, and that was the day that I co-presented with my training partner, um, Camila Wilkerson, um, regarding coping with trauma Um, because we all are experiencing some type of trauma and just not being able to get out (laughs) and experience life how we have generally experienced it. On top of that, just having what's been happening seeing the injustice that is incurring in our world has really kind of brought, um, shine some light on injustices that are happening. Uh, and so how do we cope with that? And I think particularly people of color, people of color, and again, I, I'll, I'll speak for myself in stating what I have seen and what I've experienced that this time, and I think this is why Muslim, the eight days of Muslim in action was so important. There's something about this time that's different than other times. We are very aware that people are experiencing injustice um, on a daily basis. On a daily basis. Um, but this time seems different. This time seems, you know, inshallah, that people have gotten it and they're like, you're not just complaining to complain. It's really unfair out there. <laughs> there's really things happening that are seriously unfair and can't be just uh, explained away with, well, there had to have been a reason for that. No, there's not a reason for what is happening right now, except racism and injustice. So again, so just kind of coping with that. Also how we have compartmentalized, and I say we meaning being black and female and compartmentalizing um, is how we many times have to focus in the world. Um, We have to compartmentalize saying, because if we worry about and think about all the injustice, it can be overwhelming and we can't get through our day. So just kind of providing support to that. Um, The next day was actually about um, community resources and a conversation on public health because in this COVID-19 crisis, um, who is being affected? Many times black and brown people. And uh, we're also, so we're seeing racial and class issues um, taking place uh, regarding that, as well as we're also seeing seniors Um, being affected but now we've got a new strain that's pretty much affecting everybody and anybody so we just need to be aware of that but particularly just looking at the public health crisis that we are experiencing and being mindful of that um and what are resources available if something were to happen so we talked about that Uh, and that would be emotional as well as physical uh, resources and then our next piece was um day six was financial wellness and empowerment get your money right um, that also speaks to how we talk about Hajj. One of the benefits and blessings of the Hajj project is to also plant the seed to say, um, you don't have to wait, as we saw Sister Noor, you don't have to wait until possibly, you know, you're older and a senior citizen um, before you go on Hajj. But how do you plant the seed to kind of financial wellness to, to maybe part start putting money away for special things in your life one of those special things being the fifth pillar. So we talked about financial wellness. The seventh day was listening to our youth. How can we, you know, what do they need from us and how can we support them? Uh, And lastly, um, our eighth day was really focusing on emphasizing, we did talk about um, action. How can we be active? Um, How can we also move forward? what do we do with all this information that we've learned over these eight days and how do we move forward with that information? How can we put this actually implement and put it into practice? Also at that discussion, we received an update regarding the Black Lives Matter movement and just kind of reflecting on what's happening regarding social justice and particularly looking at race issues um, regarding that. So that's kind of was our summary Um, We did it from we started also systematically on June 8th, Um, again, just keeping that magic magic of the importance of the number eight. So we did it uh, June 8th through June 15th. And one of the things that I also want to talk, you know, just kind of reflect upon, um, you know, when focusing on wellness is the importance of self care. Um, One of the topics that I also talked about during Ramadan when we were talking safe at home um, is just connecting with people uh, and making sure you're not isolated and alone. Um, And even though you may not be able to physically hug and hold people, just checking on people, just keeping them in, you know, saying, hey, how are you doing? Possibly doing a FaceTime, a face chat, just ways that we can connect with each other are so, so important particularly during, you know, it's always important, but particularly um, during these times. Um, And also how do we cope with these feelings? Find people that you can talk to, um, you know, that you can express yourself and you know that honestly, they will, you know, they will listen to you and provide support. The other powerful thing about the eight days is that it was a safe space. It was a safe space to pray. It was a safe place to meditate, possibly shed tears grieve some loss um as well as get rejuvenated and resources so that you can move forward because it also can be hindering as a human being to feel like i'm stuck and there's no not you know this is bad and there's nothing else i can do about it so we want to say yes let's honor the feeling of loss let's honor the feeling of grief but let's also honor the fact that we as women can come together and bond with each other and support each other um and um Lastly, I also say about the, the Hajjah project um, is just kind of what also led to this is um, in uh, Surah 22 Al-Hajj, there's something about like in the service of your Lord uh, and in you know striving for the will of Allah. And so, you know we in the Hajjah project are kind of striving in the you know, striving to be the best we can be um, with the cards, you know, with the things that we have been dealt. So how can we be the best that we can be in these unusual circumstances that we are, we are currently living in. Um, And, you know, just remembering pilgrimage can take place in many types of ways. Um, You know, sacred journey, uh, you can have a sacred journey even at home and just kind of, you know, thinking outside of the box when we look at, you know, um, look at pilgrimage. Uh, And so that's what the Haja Project is doing is, yes, completing the fifth pillar in the sense of, long-term journey of actually completing that, but also the sacred journey of how you can be as a as a woman, as a Muslima, Muslima as far as uh, empowering yourself, your community, your family, uh, and those, you know, your environment. And with that, I think I will close and pass it on to Samia, who can, you know, share with, you know, what was her experience Um, because I could talk all about it for a long period of time. But what was her experience as kind of listening to it, you know, um, what she got out of it?
4: Yeah, no, you know, Sister Krishna had texted me that they were doing these eight days and I was so grateful that she did because I'm not always on Facebook and stuff. So I might have missed the announcement. And I was so grateful because it was just such an amazing experience. to be part of all of those eight days every day i learned something new every day i was like you know just um I, I felt that sense of community and that sense of like you know our our being there to support each other it was really wonderful and um like just so many eye-opening moments like sister zarya when you were doing your presentation with sister camila I remember, I, I don't remember if it was you or Sister Camila who talked about how even when people like who are allies are sharing graphic pictures or videos of, insta, of you know, things that are happening uh, in the black community, it can be triggering for you because, uh, you know, that like is an ongoing trauma that the black community is facing and um, to, to, to have more people sharing about and talking about it, listening about it, seeing it even more uh, can actually also be triggering. And I had not thought about it like that before. So, you know, my awareness was being raised and how I can, uh, you know, need to be a little bit more careful and not just assume that my Black friends just want to talk about what's going on. It's better that I check in with them. You know, and, and just little big things like that. And then we had this another right, really amazing session that, like you mentioned, on climate justice. And I mean, for me, that was one of the sessions that helped me to see like the bigger picture perspective of like when we talk about Black Lives Matter, that it's not enough to just focus on the very narrow issue of police violence. You know that there's so much more to what's actually affecting black lives and um you know comprising um, and and contributing to the to the violence that they're having to suffer and uh, you know the one of the examples that the speaker that day sister kerry was giving was about how in uh, like for people who are active in the context of environmental justice and so forth and i like to think of myself as as someone who isn't more environmentally aware than the average person and tries to do my best to live an environmentally conscious life. Um, But even like, I'm not up to date on all the issues. And I was like, particularly struck by an example that she gave of how, when we are not aware of the the extended consequences of our actions and so forth we can really create harm without meaning to when we think we're doing something good like um, uh, she was mentioning the example of how all these sacrifice zones have been created where uh, for th- the theoretical benefit of some people other people's lives and well-being is is um, sacrificed. So she gave the one of the examples she gave was like planting trees. You know, there's like this whole system that we have created. To offset our carbon use. And one of the ways that we do that is by planting trees. Now, it turns out there are a whole bunch of uh, corporations that have taken on contracts to plant trees on behalf of other organizations and uh, so forth that have made commitments to plant trees and you think oh my gosh planting trees such a wonderful thing let me contribute more to this cause but the problem is that a lot of these corporations that have taken on these contracts to plant trees they're going off to like third world countries like in South America and so forth and they're taking over land over there and planting trees yes but they're planting trees without uh, being careful about um, you know like how planting trees in that area is impacting that that environment and that community because so often they'll just plant trees that are not native to that environment and um you know uh, and, and end up creating harm to that local environment and uh like again it was just like one of those things that like really struck with me and opened my eyes to like um, These unintended consequences that our actions can have, and we don't have proper education and awareness.
0: Thank you, Samia. Yeah, um, you know that um, I was saying this earlier before we started, but um, a lot of times uh, environmentalism can um, or has previously been seen as a white people's issue, um, but the truth is is that it really affects everyone across the globe. Um, and what you were saying about the sacrifice zones, um, it really also shows um, the, the importance of doing things holistically. Um, and so I think, you know, as Muslims, we are um, supposed to live with both feet, one foot in the dunya and one in the akhirah. one, you know, in this material world <clears throat> and the reality here, um, and then also, um, with one foot um, towards where we're going in the afterlife and that means you know not just taking care of our spirits but also taking care of our bodies and the environment and everything um, through this lens of Serving God in humility um, and out of love and compassion um, for our fellow humans. So, um, yeah, I think that is just such a wonderful thing that you guys did with the Hadja project. And um, I think it's beautiful, Krishna, how this this thing that you experience has now blossomed into so many other different avenues. Yeah,
1: And, I, you know, I'd like to point out one other thing, because, um, of course, we believe in intention and everything we did about this was very intentional. So the person who did that particular session happened to be my daughter. Um, And one thing we were able to do, I think quite well with the eight days was actually bring in other generations. So, you know, we're trying to change the perception that the Haja project is something for mature women, just because some of us are mature, it's actually for all women. So by bringing in our daughters, um, so we had Carrie for the environmental we had um, Rania. Sister Darina's daughter, um, Rania Copeland, who happens to be the CEO of the Black AIDS Foundation, and that was a really powerful piece because we learned how that organization is advocating for the health of all of us. You know, mm-hmm. people think of it as something about sex; it's really about health and wellness for everybody in the community. And we also had, um, you know, the Youth Day when we had some of the youth were as young as about maybe 15 up through college age and they were the daughters or the daughters of friends and them telling us what they need. And on that day, we actually pledged that we would start putting some money aside for the youth so that they could create their own project. Um, some of them mentioned how even though they're in college and they're part of Muslim you know, college associations, they still don't really know the kids or know or feel that camaraderie. So that's something they can work on while we're all you know, distant but social. And then we had a day I call it the um, sort of Muhammad Bakir tribe day, our last day where Sharon Muhammad, you know, had her daughter by marriage, Kenyatta Bakir, representing Muslim art and Black Lives Matter. And then she had a number of her daughters on and her granddaughter who all participated. And it was just beautiful to see. And I think they finally get it that, you know, we're not just sitting around having these little tea parties and saying we're the Hajj project. We're actually, you know, trying to do something And build a legacy, you know, Sadaka Jaria for all of us. You know, we want someone to pray for us when we're gone. Um, Some of us may be a little closer to older than others, but you know, we want to build something that's for the whole community. I also want to say that even though we're the Hajj Project and we're women-centered and collaborative intentionally, that I wanted to demonstrate that women could have good teamship and build things. We are still co-ed. You know, a lot of our advisors are our husbands. You know, the Imams in the community, our friends, our relatives, um, one of my friends who's not Muslim got on two of the calls and was really impressed, you know, because I just kind of put the word out. This is for sisters. You know, if you're a sister, then get on. And so she and I are talking and I hope to collaborate with her on something because we want to do something about, you know, voting awareness in the fall. So um, it was really beneficial and
3: came out to be something that was greater than what we imagined. Great. And lastly, I I did also want to uh, talk touch upon the part you were talking about the trauma piece, Samia. And one of the things that kind of the catchphrase that I guess that I would like you know people to to reflect upon is, That you were referring to when seeing graphic pictures over and over um people asking you about your experiences over and over you're black what has happened to you that type of thing or you're a woman what has happened to you or you're muslim what has happened to you whatever your you know um, however your identities are um you know things happen around you and in the world and one of the things so one of the things i kind of want to just put out there is the thing that Camila and i talked about was protecting your peace you are not you know you do not have to tell your story uh, one of the things i always share or suggest is if you see someone assume something depending on who they are and what has happened or if you know a little bit about assume something has happened to them <laughs> you don't ha- they don't have to tell you the details you can just assume have empathy and compassion you can do that without without knowing the details personal details and the reflection also is if somebody asks you that, you don't have to share. Protect your peace, and in doing that, also it means that's self-care. Doing things that bring you joy, doing things that bring you comfort, because in this time, you know, we need to find healthy coping activities. Um, you know that can bring us solace um, and support, um, but also you know realize that you do not have to provide you know details of things and relive things. I've held back from my Facebook, I do not, you know, I was a big avid Facebook person, as far as like, just, you know, staying up on things and what have you. Um, The news is, you know, was always on in in my house, and I had to pull back from that. So create a safety plan for yourself, whatever that is for you. Um, That was part of my safety plan for self-care is holding back from Facebook, only doing, you know, touching in here and there, um, touching in, you know, reading this, you know, doing a half hour of news or getting reliable information. I listen to NPR, so, you know, something reliable, but only doing it for a limited amount of time to not overwhelm yourself. I know I'm a very empathic, sensitive person, and I can only take so much. And that doesn't, that's not a weakness. That's not, it's nothing. It's honoring who you are, which actually is a strength. Uh, And so just remembering that as well as It doesn't hurt to talk to someone. You may want to talk to someone, you know, um, who's a professional or, you know, your peer group, Um, but protecting your, you know, however you choose to do it, but protecting your piece is so vital and important. And I just kind of wanted to put that out there Um, is something, you know, I also am a big vicar, people who know me, I'm all about the 99 names. I have it on my
0: phone. I have my, you know, because. Can you explain to someone who's not familiar with what vicar Yeah,
3: so um, there are like 99, uh, considered 99 attributes of God. Um, And so sometimes there are other communities that you probably see prayer beads, people can use prayer beads or count on their fingers. Um, But one of the things that can be helpful is so for me, um, if for instance, uh, I'm looking for um, peace. So uh, salam is peace. Um, and so I may, as one of the 99 names of God is, God is Asalaam. And so I might just say that repeatedly over and over again. One, um, because I also believe in mindfulness and grounding oneself, I may do that to ground myself and just kind of breathe as I'm doing it um, and do, you know, a hundred times or how long it ever takes me to feel relaxed. Um, also, there's, you know, uh, compassion and mercy. There are different names, compassion and mercy, uh, holy. So whatever kind of appeals to you, you know, whatever name appeals to you, I say utilize that uh, and you can, you know, research that. It's like a mantra, you know, people have different mantras, but whatever techniques help you to kind of relax Um, And just kind of get grounded in the here and now to the best of your ability. That's something I do. That's a combination of spirituality, as well as, you know, spirituality, as well as mindful meditation. But, you know, I encourage people to do, you know, what works for them. But that's one of the things that has helped me um, as far as a way to, how I protect my peace, as an example.
0: Yeah. And that's such uh, an important reminder, um, especially in this day and age where we are being exposed to an unnatural amount of traumatic information um, and our bodies and our minds are only evolved to maybe, you know, handle the trauma of like one saber-toothed tiger or like falling off a cliff, right? We're, we're uh, not uh, equipped right now to be aware of all of the trauma of the entire world simultaneously 24 seven. So um, that's such a great reminder um, that you've given us to to just have that balance and and find that peace. So now we'll hear from Sister Shahida Sharif. And if you can talk about um, what Hajj Pros is, how it came about, um, and then also just fill us in um, on what's going on um, in light of uh covid-19 this year and uh what's happening in mecca uh, saudi arabia and what the pr- pilgrimage will look like if at all alhamdulillah assalamu alaykum and thank you for having
5: me and um and i appreciate this conversation i'm learning so much <laughs> just listening in and um you know for me uh in in working with hajj pros it was something we established maybe it almost Uh, 20 years ago, (laughs) Uh, we were students studying abroad in Damascus, Syria, my husband and I, and we went on Umrah together. And then the following year, we went on Hajj and we took, you know, um, American students. um, We chartered a bus. We took some of our teachers and um, we experienced a lot of challenges. This was after September 11th. And so um, it it was very scarce. It wasn't that many people there. It wasn't as populated, I should say. And particularly, there wasn't as many from America, right? And so um, being American students studying in the Middle East at that time, traveling by land through borders, (laughs) going for Hajj, it was very um, interesting to say the least. And and just to see the dynamics um, that we experienced there, it led us to think more about how do Americans and particularly African American Muslims experience Hajj when they travel from the U.S. Uh, going for Hajj, and you know just the culture shock, um, you know the language barrier, and you know trying to complete your spiritual rights. So <laughs> you already have those uh, emotional, mental, physical uh, strains occurring at the same time, and then to have those other um, you know challenges on top of that. We were we were really thinking about how could we facilitate this process um and and prepare our community and um and many african-american muslims from around the country and um you know to really be able to get the most out of the experience so they're not overwhelmed or uh, experience anxiety um on top of the anxiety that already is there um, when it comes to such a, a large undertaking and so um, that was something that was an impetus for us um, beginning pros. And so we began in California where we you know, established ourselves and we took our first delegation um, in 04 and then we continued ever since. And so um, it was a blessing, you know, just being able to be there be a support for Muslim women, um, women from our communities and um, just being able to explain the rights uh, because a lot of times like when you're moving in the Hajj rights, sometimes you're together with your spouse and sometimes you're by yourself. <laughs> and so um, being able to make sure that everything is done in accordance with the practice of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam the sunnah then you know it's it's important just to have that that person to be able to support you in that in that way. And so um you know coming into this year it was very challenging because um there wasn't a lot of information. <laughs> they kept saying they were going to give us information, and we were waiting for the information for quite some time. And we were trying to, you know, update um, our 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 people who had intended to make Hajj, um, but we wanted to make sure we gave them the right information. So lot they did, you know, make a statement recently. And um, initially, they were going to they were looking at twenty percent of the world population coming, but now it's been reduced to. Uh, primarily those who are within the precincts. So um, within the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, it will be primarily those making the Hajj. So it will be very limited, um, in in a sense. So there will be a Hajj, <laughs> it just will not be attended. You know, from those from, around, from other countries, and just and it makes sense because the numbers are rising, um, and so that will be a great risk. And it's it's a huge undertaking just for the Hajj ministry in and of itself to. Um, manage just numbers of pilgrims and just the nature of hajj and the movement of Hajj um in the interaction and the closeness and the proximity, it can be a lot to mitigate. And so alhamdulillah, I never thought of it uh being canceled. <laughs> and I still don't say it's canceled because there will always be a Hajj. Subhanallah there's always Tawaf. Uh even if there's no one there, there's some birds making Tawaf. <laughs> so I, I always say there's there's a constant movement in the atmosphere whether it's physically or metaphysically um hajj is always taking place we're always in that movement as sister azaria mentioned that there's always a sacred pilgrimage and so um you know just to say that you know um you mentioned earlier as far as like women traveling alone um or independently you know we have we've had some where it may be a husband and a wife but the husband may go one year and the wife may go the next year because they have children right and so um so in that case, you know they they just there's a letter that you get notarized, you know just saying that you're traveling with this group. Um, and then also too, we have Muslim women who are new to Islam, and they may not have a Muslim family, and so they also have that permission to travel because they're a new Muslim. And so you know traveling with a group, you have that permission to go, um, and and because you're going within that protection and safety of that group. And then also if you're a new Shahadatain, if you if you're new to Islam you can go. Like they, there's no prohibition. They um, they actually make an exemption from you for you um, in that case. If and that's for the for the women track who are single, they usually look at age 45 and under. So if you're age 45 and under, you would just have that letter, notarization, that you are traveling with this group and that your family is aware that you're going. And, and that's it's, it's good for the safety and protection um, because there is a lot of movement um, that goes on, you know, during the Hodge rights. And just uh, even when we're there as a group and a collective, we we tell our brothers and sisters, don't go anywhere by yourself, you know? Um, and, and I would say that for any foreign country, <laughs> don't just, you know, if you're going, if you're with a group or you're, you're with a delegation or you're with a study abroad, you know, I wouldn't say go out in the streets by yourself at night, you know, and some people they may, oh, I catch Uber at home or I do this, I, you know, I do it. And, and it's it's a different mentality when you're in a different country it's a different language it's a different culture and that's not the movement of you know of where you are and so when they as they say what in rome do as <laughs> romans mm-hmm. I, I would i would definitely say if you're going to go and you go with a group and i would say be safe-minded and stick with that group so you know if you have roommates who are other sisters let's go to the masjid and pray qiamlel or Um, Prayed night prayer and you or spend time in the masjid at night reading Quran or just you know making tawaf but go together so just you're always you know just safety conscious and think in that in that way
0: yeah and that's good to know that was a a really big um, uh, eye-opener for a lot of women uh, who attended uh, Krishna's uh, khutbah, um when she gave her khutbah at our jummah, um, in that a lot of women were under the impression that uh, single women were not allowed to travel alone to Saudi Arabia because they have their own um, sort of uh, restrictions on that. And so um, it was really helpful to find out that if you are with a, a travel group, uh, you can actually bypass that rule and and still go.
5: Yeah, and, it's, and it's, I would say that was the case for quite some time. Um, and so you would have to have a mahram and you and they still do like they still um in some cases ask for it um so if you have an uncle traveling or imam traveling but because the nature of the growth of islam is, is 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 uh expanding um there is even a ruling within some schools of thought that traveling a woman traveling with a group that become that group becomes her mahram it becomes her protector protection and so um just keeping that in mind so it, you know it's not a ruling of Hajj, that you can't travel alone. That was more so coming from the, the ministry. And, and also too, just um, you know just in, in knowing just the culture of the society is that the, the, the movement is different. Like you, the women in that country, you, you see them more now than you did before. So I would say within the past year, um, with the change of leadership and um, within the kingdom, You see more women working, you know, in the airports, women driving, you know, uh, women in the stores, like working. So before, they may have been working in offices and different places like that, but you weren't always seeing them. And so um, it is, there's a lot of, you know, expansion and improvements uh, and growth, I would say, but you still want to be conscious of, you know, where you are. It's a different environment. It's a different culture. And it's not for us to just come to someone else's culture and say, this is how it should be. Like, this is what I do at home. So this is how it should be here. Like, no, (laughs) it's it's just doesn't work that way. So.
0: And is it 1 million or 2 million people who go usually? Close to 2 million. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm sure for this year is going to be, you know,
5: really different. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. so I know even for Umrah, they're gonna uh, make it where you do have to apply, you know, for your visa and, and ba- basically get a number, you know, to to be processed in. But they're they're really doing a lot more mitigation with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Um, so for Umrah, will look a little different.
0: Um, I saw an article that said that actually, this is not the first time that they've had to kind of shut down uh, for Hajj. This has happened maybe five times before in history where there were uh, outbreaks like this and pandemics. So inshallah, it'll resume uh, in the near future. Um, And And also like in the past when they've had like MERS and like SARS, like they did
5: reduce and, and, and create restrictions for like other countries.
0: Yeah, and on that note, you know, talking about those 2 million people um, that are coming to this one spot, on the on the planet every year, um, I thought it would be a good idea to read an excerpt from uh, Malcolm X's letter from Hudge. Um, And so for people who aren't familiar with that, um, uh, when Malcolm X uh, went to Hudge, it really transformed how he saw race relations uh, in America. Um, And after he came back uh, to the US, um, he actually uh, uh, changed um, the way he was speaking about race relations and, and gave a lot more sermons. Um, so I'm gonna just read a quick ep- excerpt. Um, Malcolm X's al Haj Malik El-Shabazz, so he changed his name after he came back, letter from Mecca. There were tens of thousands of pilgrims from all over the world. They were of all colors from blue-eyed blondes to black-skinned Africans, but we were all participating in the same ritual, displaying a spirit of unity and brotherhood that my experiences in America had led me to believe never could exist between the white and non-white. America needs to understand Islam because this is the one religion that erases from its society the race problem. Throughout my travels in the Muslim world, I have met, talked to, and even eaten with people who in America would have been considered white but the white attitude was removed from their minds by the religion of Islam. I have never before seen sincere and true brotherhood practiced by all colors together, irrespective of their color. I'm gonna skip a little bit. Um, And then he says, um, during the past 11 days, Here in the Muslim world, I have eaten from the same plate, drunk from the same glass and slept on the same rug while praying to the same God with fellow Muslims whose eyes were the bluest of blue, whose hair was the blondest of blonde and whose skin was the whitest of white. And in the words and in the deeds of the white Muslims, I felt the same sincerity that I felt among the black African Muslims of Nigeria, Sudan and Ghana. We were were truly all the same. Because their belief in one God had removed the white from their minds, the white from their behavior and the white from their attitude. I could see from this that perhaps if white Americans could accept the oneness of God, then perhaps too they could accept in reality, the oneness of man or humans and cease to measure and hinder and harm others in terms of their differences in color. With racism plaguing America like an incurable cancer, the so called Christian white American heart should be more receptive to a proven solution uh, to such a destructive problem. Perhaps it could be in time to save America from imminent disaster, the same destruction brought upon Germany by racism that eventually destroyed the Germans themselves um so there's a really powerful letter that just shows what that experience was and that how indeed transformational it was um and i just wanted to open up the discussion and see you know what your guys thoughts are on uh the impact that hajj can have potentially um on race relations uh not only within the muslim community but beyond um and also how Uh, perhaps doing and performing Hajj at an earlier time in your life. Um, I, sorry, I I don't have the statistics on me, but there's a very uh, large percentage of Americans who have never even left their home state um, and how travel um, and especially travel and mingling with uh, everyone else in the world and all these other cultures can uh, impact race relations um, and how we relate to one another. So anyone who'd like to speak, go ahead.
1: Well, I can speak to that a little bit, just from my impression. You know when you um, go to Hajj, and we got there in the middle of the night, and we hurry up, and I think we put our things down, and we went to the Haram to be there in time for Fajr prayer, and we were on like a second level. So there's the base level where you can see the Kaaba, and then two levels above, and so we were in that middle level. And at one point, I took a picture, and when I looked at the picture, I said, "Wow, now you know." We're here. We're like one of these specks in that picture. And so for me, that kind of resonated because it's like, okay, we're all here. We're all doing the same prayer. We're doing the same ritual circumambulation of the Kaaba. You know, we're all doing the same thing. So I'm not more important than somebody else, and they're not more important than me. And for me, I had always been seeking as an African American when do I get to be a person? Because, you know, having gone through integrated schools and all kinds of experiences, I knew that my white peers and friends, you know, they probably never wake up in the morning and say, oh, darn, today I'm white. What am I going to do? And somebody says something to me about this, is it because they said it because I'm white, I'm a female, I'm a this, I'm a that. Um, And I think we have a lot of that Mm self-talk. And so for me, just that moment of knowing that I'm part of this much bigger, bigger thing was like okay now I'm a person I'm the same I get my personhood um, that I've been looking for so that's that's one way I reflect on it um, I think everyone should have a bigger than you experience and you know Allah a belief in one God is a bigger than you experience for instance I tell my kids you know I don't really care what faith you practice as long as you believe in God something bigger than you and you know one god um because can you hang the moon can you hang the sun can you keep the planets in alignment it's beautiful thank you yes,
5: I, was, I was gonna say that you know just so what she said it levels the playing field right and it's it's no distinction and even for men and women you know regardless of race um or I should say in addition to that that you know everyone has to stand before God right everyone has to stand and and bear witness that this is a greater power than all of us right and as as much as you know we may have our uh you know interconnectedness just as human beings and the different things that we experience with one another whether it's with uh advanced degrees or you know um just whatever the case may be that distinguishes us there's no distinction there you know but at the same time with the men they have they're obligated to wear the um the ihram garment right whereas the women they're free to wear whatever (laughs) and so it's it's just this you know distinction also that there is a freer movement for the women and um and then there's something to that you know that we don't have to remove that part of us we don't have that issue (laughs) per se It, it just may show up for us in different ways right and so you know how we mitigate that. There's there's this leveling um, for all of us. Whatever it is that you have to face for yourself, you come, you confront it, and you come face to face with that. So even though you're there with so many people, whatever your issue is, whatever your concern is, whatever your challenge is, it will come to you full front. <laughs> and um, and so I can see him coming from America having that experience. That that would be something that's on the forefront of his mind, right? where it may not be for someone else because that, that may just not be the case for them. And so whatever that thing is for us, Allah brings us there to reconcile it and to leave it there, inshallah, um, so that we can come back better, inshallah.
0: And Nora, it would be great to hear from you since um, you just recently went and um, maybe talk about your experiences in terms of um, seeing that unity and, and maybe the trials and challenges that you faced as well.
2: Yeah, um, I was gonna say that when I, when I got back um, I went to hajj two years ago. And so when I got back, everyone was asking me what, what my favorite part is. Um, and everyone has a different experience. Everyone has different stories. But my I literally just kept saying my favorite part was that I've never been in a place, like I don't think there's in an, any other place in the world where there's millions of people that are all doing the same thing, believing the same thing, like they're for the same spirit, like everyone has the same spirit about them. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because you go and... Um, and I remember at one point my husband Sleiman we we were in Ihram and so he walked away for a second and I turned and I couldn't recognize him out of the crowd. And um I had like a moment of panic where I was like, oh no, where is he? And then I and then I like stopped and I was like, it's crazy that like my husband, I can't recognize him in this group of people that are right in front of me because they all look the same. Wow. I was, like everyone looks like like ants basically like running around, all looking exactly the same. But but even though we're all having that experience, everyone's feeling still things are personalized for them. Like everyone comes back, a lot of people come back from Hajj who say that like they had their own personal miracles or um, something happened that was so directed towards them. And I always thought, subhanAllah, like Allah has put us in this place that makes us all equal and makes us all look the same and, and feel the same, but also still gives us our own personal things. Like everything in the world that happens, people think happens for them. And I felt that way at Hajj too, where I was like, I was like I feel I feel like I'm on the same level as all these people, but still I feel like Allah's doing things for me and that these experiences are happening for me and that I'm super lucky to be here and to be invited. And so subhanAllah, that that's like one of my favorite things. And I think that's also very resonated in Malcolm X's letter, where he's also pointing out that everyone's on the same playing field and he he um shared meals and shared rugs and shared everything with all these people of different races, but still like the fact that he's feeling that himself is pointing out that Allah like him in this place that then
0: made him realize this and had him go through this transformative experience that he was able to bring back to america awesome um samia did we have any questions uh i see a lot of comments on our facebook live page but i don't know if uh, there were any questions do
4: you see any i have not seen any specific questions but lots of comments of appreciation yeah
0: Yeah, i mean i i know i feel inspired inshallah and uh, maybe not this year but hopefully soon i can go and Uh, I know, Zari, you want to go as well. Uh, Sami, have you been
4: for Hajj before? But you used to live in Saudi Arabia, right? Oh, you didn't. Okay. I lived in um, Dubai for about five years. Okay. Because of circumstances and so forth. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we weren't able to go for Hajj or even Umrah. I've never been to Saudi at all. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I went for Umrah once
0: when I was 10. And, you know, when you're a kid, you, you aren't really in tune to, like, you know, spiritual experiences or, you know, um, you're more about fun, right? And I just remember even as a 10 year old, like, I can still uh, feel the presence of we went at, I think, like 3am, because it was less crowded, and it was cooler. Um, and just like, feeling the the coolness uh, radiate from the marble tiles uh, around the Kaaba and like the blue and or purple and green lights. And, um, you know, as a 10 year old, I could feel that the the spiritual significance. So I can't wait to go uh, inshallah as an adult and and really um, have a deeper experience. And um, I thank all of you for for coming together to inspire other people and other Muslims um, to take this journey to the fifth pillar of Islam. Um, and inshallah, hopefully do it sooner than later um, so that uh, we can then come back and, and spread that uh, inspiration um, as you have so beautifully done uh, Krishna, after you returned. Um, so thank you all again. Yeah, please go ahead. Well, I was gonna
1: say, I just wanna give a shout out to like our whole leadership team if I might. Yes, um, please. You know, besides Zarya that you met, we have Doreen Abdul-Samad, who's an artist and an art teacher. Who made Hajj, I think, in about 2009, 2010, um, Ma Shati Salai, who is a former pastor. Um, and she's kind of like the voice of um, our project in the eight days. She does some beautiful, sort of jazzy dicker. Um, Sharon Muhammad Bakir, who's a lot of people know, um, who is a uh, nonprofit manager and a board member of Mosques and um, an entrepreneur as well. I'm uh, looking forward to getting some really great masks from her. Um, Camila Williams, who's an attorney, and she is our treasurer. Um, Winona Majid Muhammad, um, Muhammad Majid, excuse me. Um, and Winona is a chaplain with the Women's Correctional Facility here in Southern California. And so one of our projects is to raise funds to give scarves. We just completed it to the sisters who are incarcerated because that's what they asked for this year. They've gotten journals and other things, but this year they particularly wanted scarves. And the Dawa in that is that, you know, anything that Winona might bring into for the Muslimas, the other sisters, women in the prisons, they want that as well. So we'll be giving scarves to any sister who wants um, a scarf there. And, you know, everything about Hajj is opportunity to be forgiven for your sins. Mm. So we pray that one day we can give gifts to sisters who have been incarcerated so they can have that transformative experience of going to Hajj um, and coming back feeling uplifted and renewed and weights lifted. And let's see, there's me. I think I mentioned me, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but Anyway, but um, you know, the quote that kind of, or the thing I was thinking of last night that kind of resonated for me that I wanted to weave in here is that um, it's important to complete your fifth pillar as you can, um, but not just to, complete the fifth pillar because Allah asked us to, of course, that's the most important. And we ask and pray to be invited, but you will find what the gift in Hajj is for you when you complete your Hajj. So for me, the gift was, I said, it completed me. Mm -hmm. I was looking for something, you know, the completion of the fifth pillar actually completed me at a stage in life. when I was looking at, so I'm still here. I'm still pushing, you know, I have lots I want to do, but I feel like I left behind a lot of things that were maybe burdening my soul, burdening my mind, so that I could move forward and do this great work, inshallah.
0: So actually, uh, uh, Sister Krishna, if you can close us out with the dua from the heart uh, in English, that would be wonderful, uh, whatever comes to your to your spirit.
3: Oh, and Krishna, could you mention our collective um, conversation that we have once a week, uh, once a month, the Hajj
0: project, just as
3: if you enjoy, if you enjoy this type of um, fellowship and collective conversation and healing, um, then, you know, which is kind of what, what started all of this back in Ramadan, we're offering our sister chat, and if you, before you take us out and do a, I apologize.
0: And quickly, if um, you want to learn more about the Hajjah Project, you can go to the hajjaproject.com and you guys are also .org, oh, .org sorry. .org, yeah. um, and you guys also are on Facebook um, and I believe Instagram as well. Um, and then if you want to learn more about uh, Hajj Pros, it's hajjpros.com, Um and you can get more information on um, on those plans as well, inshallah. So, yeah. And we do you have,
1: have a, a Sisters only, Sisters Coffee, the fourth Sunday of each month? And it did. It came out of um, COVID, really. Um, we weren't able to be together, and we just said, well, maybe we can get some people to get on a Zoom call, and it just evolved, to so it became almost like a little program, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. so it's invitation only, just so that we can have um, the intimacy of a format where people can really chat, and so if you're interested, you know, just ping us in the comments group, or you know, go to us on Facebook, send us a note or something and we can invite you um, and any member that's part of the Sisters Coffee can invite anybody to the Sisters Coffee. They just need to be women um, for this. But um, all right, I do. Uh,
0: Sorry, I put somebody, you on the
1: spot. <laughs> yeah, you but, you know, I have to say this about Sister Shahida. She is a very patient person. As I, you know, I think Allah made me do this as like a wink to her all during my hajj, you know, I was fumbling with my scars. I'm always falling apart or something. Even today, I was like, why did you put on this silk thing that's falling over? You know, I'm a real person. And so I can think of a few times when Sister Shahid was like, Sister Krishna, you know, cause, uh, <laughs> cause it would be hot and I was hot. But at any rate, my dua and my prayer today is that, you know, if Allah calls you to be a Muslim, then step into this deen. Um, Anyone can be um, fulfilled through acceptance of Islam, the acceptance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the one God here, um, open and available to all people. You do not have to come perfect. Allah accepts you as you are. You do not have to come with things that you don't understand, feeling like you have to become a Muslim in one day. You flip a switch and you become a Muslim. I'm in proof of that. I don't believe in flipping switches you come where you are you start where you are and you continue to grow and achieve my prayer is that people realize that islam is a religion of peace acceptance of the one god one allah
0: Amen. amin 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 all right thank you everybody assalamualaikum, assalamualaikum. assalamualaikum. assalamualaikum.